When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Our guest this week, Renny Knott. And this would fall under the category of interview I was really looking forward to doing. And it delivered. It's, there's just no other way to say it. It delivered. And I have a feeling that a number of you will be emailing me at tmckernan at InsideSTL.com with Kind of a similar, which one would this, I guess maybe Mark Mulder would fall into the category of Mark Mulder. Mark Montavani would fall into that category. And, and the analogy I'm drawing is uh, not famous Marks on the podcast, but uh, people who you might have just had the podcast on in the background just because it popped up on your phone. You historically listened to it and you didn't really expect much. And then you listen to it and you're like, wow, that was something else. Whereas like with Kelly Chase, Kelly Chase is just going to deliver. That's just, you just know that going in. Uh, and it seems like, by the way, as I was just saying to the Seamaster, that these uh, interviews with local news personalities, local sports personalities, uh, really get a lot of listens. And in the case of Mike Bush, for example, I mean, that's 30 plus years of history in St. Louis, uh, both from the news and sports side, Steve Savard, uh, not only news and sports side, but also... Uh, the fact that we worked together for five years at KMOV with Rennie, really different circumstance. Um, and I wasn't aware of some of the story. I just knew this because I was still doing television at the time. When Rennie Knott got to St. Louis, it was rough. Uh, it was rough and it was something that really wore on him and I think his family. And we get into it. Also, I didn't realize how you know, incredibly successful he was in Washington and what the story was that brought him to St. Louis. Uh, I, you know, I'd never, but we talked about it and it's, I mean, it's a hell of a story. Uh, And then also the shift that he's made from uh, sports to news, just like Mike Bush, just like Steve Savard. Uh, So really enjoyed the conversation. I mean, really, really enjoyed the conversation with running out. We got into St. Louis civic issues Race in St. Louis, some of the hate mail he's gotten, the fact that he decided to address one of those uh, authors of hate mail on KSTK, all of it. And it's all coming your way here on the Tim McKernan Show. Our guest this week, 
from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios running out. The HomeLoanExpert.com is our studio sponsor on the Tim McKernan Show. Ryan Kelly and his staff, people I don't hesitate to recommend to the audience because I know firsthand the quality of work they do. If you are looking to refinance, if you are looking to purchase a home, here is the first step. Go to the HomeLoanExpert.com. Just go right there, and then you're going to see two tabs. One says refinance, one says purchase. Click on the one that applies to you. And if you're looking to buy a home, get pre-approved. Get pre-approved with Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com team. And if you're looking to refinance, realize that five minutes can save you $500 per month on your payment. Why wouldn't you just check it out? It's at the HomeLoanExpert.com. Ryan's business continues to grow because Ryan runs a first-class business. Ryan's a first-class guy himself. And right there at the HomeLoanExpert.com, he makes it so simple for you to uh, either refinance or purchase a home and at least get an idea of what the payments would be. It's the HomeLoanExpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsors here on the Tim McKernan Show. So without further ado, the conversation, I promised you the conversation with KSDK morning news anchor, now former sports director, Renny Not. I'm thrilled to see. You. I haven't seen you in a while, and to me, you've been a long time. You, you look, you're looking fit. That's what I would say. Am well, I right on what? this? Well, I wouldn't say I'm fit because, um, yes, I've lost weight. I How walked. much weight have you lost? Uh, well, before I had surgery, I was probably 200. The maximum you know me at 260. 260. How uh, tall are you? I'm 5'10". Okay. But when I played football, I was like 225, 230. So as you get older, of course, you start to accumulate body weight over the course of time. Metabolism slows down. But I think the max you ever saw me at was about 260. The biggest difference, I weigh about 215 now. I'm not bloated. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You look lean. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I'm a shirtless shape. I'm a t-shirt shape, maybe. (laughs) But I'm not shirtless shape. There, There will be no... Hey, let's go pull the shirts off and go run around the beach. No. <laughs> That's not going no. to happen. Now, what have you done to lose weight? Well, okay, so I had blood clots in my lungs. Right. And so I had that major surgery. And and that was 2016? That was, yeah, July of 2016. Okay. So that took a lot of fluid weight off my body. Now, I don't eat the same anymore. I don't drink as much anymore. I walk three out three miles a day, basically, at least for an hour, uh, but usually about three miles. Are you like speed walking or you just casually no, walk? No, just casually walk. Yeah. I, I think it's all about moving the body. I think as long as you get your body in motion, you're going to burn calories. And people get caught up with, oh, I got to do this, do that to burn all this. You know, I got to burn, you know, a thousand calories. You know what? All you need to do is feel good. You, being in shape should not be a job. It should not be work to be in shape. It mm-hmm. might be called a workout, mm-hmm. but it should still feel good. You should feel like, yeah, it's a great pump or you accomplish something in my uh, in uh, pounds or whatever, but when it comes to being in shape or getting into shape, it should be recreational and something you want to do so you continue to do it. Mm-hmm. If it becomes work, you dread that as much as waking up in the morning yeah. and going to a gym. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. That's that's right. So so are you still lifting? I just started back lifting weights uh, last weekend. Was the second weekend, so I do Saturday Sundays. And I mean, okay, this is how pathetic it is. Yeah. Now, pathetic pathetic for you but the, okay. is going to be relative so, to... I'll just give you an idea. The max I ever did was in 1985. I did 500 pounds on the bench press. 500, right. pounds, 500 pounds on the bench, bench press. press. Yeah. 500 pounds yeah. on the bench and I, press. And I will tell people that to the, the day I die, I will never forget that day. Oh, my God. Then the last heavy, heavy lifting I was doing was right... Was probably about two... two was about 2013, 2014, before I really couldn't lift because I couldn't breathe. And my heart was having issues, too. And the maxes then were about 365 to 400 pounds, depending on what the workout was. But I would 
routinely do five sets of five with 225, no problem, with my feet up on the bench, too, not even, you know, flat-footed. Yeah, right, right. So the other day I'm in there trying to bench, and I had 95 pounds, and, I mean, it felt like I had a truck on my chest. No way! <laughs> but, you know, my body— I thought you were going to say, yeah, I can only do 225 no, now twice. No. The entire body is not so much atrophy. It's just the, the muscles don't remember how to work together. And then everything is sore. And I don't know how to balance it. I'm bringing uh-huh. it down, and I'm pushing it back up. And there's, like, women in the gym that can, you know, my <laughs> wife can bench press that much. And I'm going, oh, what? I'm going, you know what? Take it slow. Take it easy. You'll get there one day if you're meant to get back there again. Right, 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 right. It's right, just right. good to go do something. So you think you will be able to get back up in there? No. In the, <laughs> no. I'm not talking 500. Not I'm to that way. Two, I'm, I'm 225. I, I, my goal is to get back to getting at least two plates up. It'd be nice to do it for sets of five. Yeah. Just so that egotistically I'd feel good. Yeah. Right now I'm hoping just to get the 45-pound plates on each side again. <laughs> just to get them on the bar. Just, just so they, it looks better than, than like the 25s on there. Well, I, I had uh, an appendectomy a month ago. Oh. So I just got back into yesterday, two days ago, was the first day that I squatted since oh, then. wow. And so you know the program with, what do they I call know. it, the delayed onset muscle, whatever it is, uh, they call well, DOMS sure. or whatever it is. Uh-huh. So I'm today walking around, even though it's been two days, and all I did was put a couple of tens on either side <laughs> because I didn't want to blow out my stomach. And I know people are looking, going, "What's wow, wrong with him? Uh, he's, he's over there throwing up 85 pounds on the squat rack." Oh, you think that was bad? So the first Sunday that I went back, I got on the one little light. I think it's called a Roman chair to do sit-ups. Type mm-hmm. of movement. So I was going to do sets of ten. First set, no problem. Second set, yeah, all right. Third set. Well, the upper parts of your thighs stabilize your body and helps pull you back up. Well, they were given out. All right. So I got actually got in five sets of 10. Two days later, because it's always a couple of days before you really feel the soreness, mm-hmm. my thighs were killing me. I mean, I could barely walk. I was walking like a cowboy. <laughs> Everybody's like, were you doing squats? I go, no. I think I was from just doing sit-ups. My legs are sore. It was the saddest thing. And I'm thinking, I used to be an athlete. I used to run the 40 in like four six four five. Really? I could barely move. Oh. <laughs> it was so pathetic. Now, but, how much of this is age and how much of this is what you dealt with in I think it's a combination of the two. Yeah, yeah. But it's more the layoff of not doing anything at all. Because even when I was lifting, so I stopped lifting. I was about 50 years old. I'm, I turned 54 last week. Um, and I was still able to do 315. So I think it's just a matter of not doing anything at all. Yeah. And then injuries. Um, but a lot of it is from Did you get not injured lifting. from lifting? Yeah, because I would try to push it. That's what, and I, that's then, what I worry about because right. I do play a lot of golf. Yeah. And now here's the thing. I can't imagine you doing this, but there's a chance you have. Have you ever done yoga? I heard. It's a friend, a friend no, of mine. Even you heard or you heard? Uh, huh? Jillian, who who runs Fit Flavors, that's what she oh, owns. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's a friend, of my, a friend of my wife. And I went in there to do a story with her before the Olympics, and she says, uh, I guess she was ripped. I mean, ripped. And I said, what are, you, what are you doing now? How much you lift? She goes, I really don't lift at all now doing yoga. And it's using your body weight and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've heard the benefits of it. Yes. So that's I've what I've heard. I haven't tried. You haven't tried it. <laughs> I went in there and did it, the hot yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and I've done it with my wife because I would get injured, not like major injuries, mm-hmm. but like pain. Yeah. From lifting, yeah. because I, I was probably in the best shape of my life in 2016, which is weird because that's wow. the year I turned 40. But I was, you You're know, for kid. me, yeah. <laughs> but for me, I was putting up big, but then I like hurt my shoulder. I'm like, now I can't play. And I'm like, yeah. 
people say yoga would help your, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. flexibility. Everybody's doing yoga now. Yeah. I mean, professional athletes, it's a part of their routines um, because there's a value in stretching the body. And there's also a value in only using your body weight as resistance. Mm-hmm. Because in real life, how much more are you going to lift than what you weigh? Hardly ever that's going to come up. And then there's a balance that takes place of being able to do that, too, which now the muscles coordinate. And so they're used properly. You're also stretching. So you get the best workout possible. One muscle cannot overpower the other muscle because one muscle isn't doing all the work. But when you're doing bench press or you're doing squats, doing this or that, it's pretty much a set of muscle that's doing all the work. Thus, you can overpower the other muscles yeah. and then put yourself out of balance. And then get hurt. That's, mm-hmm. And that's what's been happening to me. So in the course of discussing this, you, you, you weaved in there that not only did you lift 500 pounds, bench yes. 500 pounds, yes. but also ran a 4-5? Yes. Oh, my God. I, so, I mean, most guys who do sports are yeah. like me. I got cut from football, which is a phenomenon. I didn't get you, cut. Yeah. Well, I figured I, that didn't I didn't get cut. I got cut from football, basketball, <laughs> baseball. And then I'm like, well, I guess now I'll pontificate on the guys who get paid uh-huh, to do it, which uh-huh. is a totally fraudulent. Uh-huh. You actually are I, I was pretty good. And was. I was pretty good. That you, was small college. Okay, so I played at Southern Oregon State, which is now Southern Oregon University. And it's a, it was NAIA school, so like Lindenwood was. So it's about that size school, small campus. Um, I, first two seasons, I was a free safety started, I started every game, um, you know, my entire time there. Were you taking heads off back there? Uh, I I wanted to be, uh, Jack Tatum. I mean, that was, I read the assassin and I wanted to be that guy, man. I wanted, and I, I thought I laid some hits, but I don't know. I mean, everybody got back up. So I don't think I hurt anybody, (laughs) but you know, some interceptions and things like that. I just, I was a really aggressive type of player. I love being aggressive and I love playing sports. You know, running track in high school, I got fast. And so I, my best 40 was about a 4.5, a low 4.5. And that was about 215 pounds. Uh, when I was a safety, I weighed about 180 to 190. Ran about that too, but a different type of body, a quicker body. And then I became a running back my junior and senior years. And that's when football was great because being in a small town and you're Good where is, at where it is Southern University? In Ashland, Oregon. Okay, nice. And so I was like the only story on the team for a couple of seasons. Are you just the north of the California I, border? I was like the is that where you are? About 15 miles okay. north of the border, right on I 5. Right. right on I 5. Shakespeare Festival is a big deal there. Um, the guy that plays uh, Phil on Modern Family, oh, yeah. he went to school there. Really? Uh, the guy that he plays the um, Filipino uh, store clerk on Superstore, he went to school there. There's a couple other famous people that, you know, beyond me, but um, we weren't a, an athletic school. Mm-hmm. Now, since I've left, it's now Southern Oregon University, and they won the NAIA National Championship in football a wow. couple of years well, back. Well, you laid the foundation. I would like to think so. <laughs> but, no, that wasn't the case. But, no, you know, in those days, though, Tim, you, my life re- revolved around being an athlete. So I, I lifted, I ran, and all that took, took precedence over school. So school schedule was set up around working out in the morning, running in the afternoon. Uh-huh. And I was obsessed with being this football player. And then my were you senior thinking, year. Were you thinking at that time, I'm going to oh, do yeah. this I think I can go pro? I thought, you know, because I had that mindset and everything else. And then my senior year, about halfway through it, I was like, you know what? I like playing like this because I'm playing with my friends. This is fun. But I don't think this could be my job. And that's when I started to really focus more. On school. Interesting. I mean, before it got too late. Yeah. Uh, and then ended up in television. Um, my senior year of, of college, I was interning. And in the course of interning in a small station, you can go out and shoot the sure. camera and do everything yeah. else. 
One day, so the weekend guy gets a job in Boise, Idaho. I come in. The main guy's mom passes away in Alaska. He's gone. So they're like, we need you to do this. Do this. Like as an anchor. Yeah. Wow. But in those days, you not only anchored, but you produced and edited. Absolutely. And, you know, you did the did whole. Did you have the prompter shibing, where shibang. you like had to pedal the Foot prompter? Pedal. I, oh, never, yeah. I never had that, but oh, I could yeah. tell. And so I did that for like two weeks. That gave me a resume tape. Right before the graduation in December, the Crosstown station had an opening. It called me up. Hey, you'd like to have you come over? Got that job. Uh, $4.92 an hour. $500 every two weeks with overtime. And uh, it was great. Oh, my God. All I wanted to do was make $20,000. I thought that if was, I could make $20,000, I'd be on easy street. That's where, the, that's, that's where it goes. <laughs> but, yeah, that's how it all got So going. that's how it's, I was wondering great. how the transition happened. Yeah. So it, it, were you thinking, I don't want to. I don't want to play anymore, or did it get to a point where you're like, I realize I probably can't? What, was it? A, I think it was. I, I think what happened, it was more or less, it wasn't fun. Thus, I realized I couldn't because. Yeah, because you got to love it, it or it work was, on it. Beyond love. It's got to be an Consumed, yeah. Because you think about the guys that play and the, the ones that get to be the top level guys, all the people that got to fend off every single day. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't take that stress, man. Yeah. You know, it's tough enough, that type of stress with TV. But there's not that many guys trying to get the job that you have. Mm-hmm. But in the NFL, there's guys not even born yet that want your yeah, job. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that makes sense. So you're so you're in Oregon. Uh-huh. At some point, there has to be a big jump. What's the what's was that the big jump? What, no. What okay, so I was in Medford, Oregon. Uh, that's where I started. I was there for about a year and a half, and then what I, years were you there? Oh gosh, eighty-seven till about midway through eighty-eight. Okay, and I got a call from station in Mobile, Alabama. Fly down there, do an interview. Fly down there, do the interview. Come back. They call. Hey, we want to hire you. So I got hired to be the morning sports anchor. So they had a morning well, sports because Alabama serious sports. Right? You color in Alabama and Auburn is serious sports. So I would do the three hours of news in the morning, but I would do two sports segments each hour. Mm-hmm. Again, producing it and all that stuff myself. Still a semi one man band. Um, I had a photographer to go out and do stories with, but for the most part, everything else I was doing myself. Uh, then I was there for a little over two years, and then in 91, I got hired by WGLA in Washington, D.C. I was the weekend guy for about a month, That's a months. pretty quick ascension. It was from, I want to say, like the 60th market to the number seven. Wow. And what was Medford? Medford was like 150-something. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're big, big jumps. jumps. And then I, went, I was in D.C. till 2004, then I came here. And the one emptiness in all that? is that I never worked in a place where your family could watch, where my family could watch. Mm. My wife's family could watch when I was in Medford because she's from Medford, Oregon. But after that, it was just her or, you know, family and, or friends, rather, not even family. Or if somebody came through town, they could see me. And in D.C., we were actually on a satellite. Now, this was way back before you had direct TV sure. and all that stuff. So we were the ABC station on the satellite. Ah. So people would go places, like they'll be in the Bahamas or something. And you're the show and they would up. they would send me an email. Hey, you remember me from high school? I saw you. I was yeah. in, you know, Bermuda, whatever, and you're on TV. I said, oh, that's great. Um, yeah. So it's, it's been a a really strange career in a sense that you've kind of been all over the place, get a sense of everything going on, but never in a place where my parents ever really got to watch or, you know, cousins or my brothers and sister. Where were you born and raised? Uh, Los Angeles. L.A. Yeah. I've been around. Jim Hill. Been Jim Hill's been running that market forever. You know, and what's odd about Jim Hill is I watched him as a kid. 
And he's still, and he's still doing, doing it. it. But he has worked at, I think, every station in L.A. Oh, actually, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure he's worked at every station. Really? Or pretty much every major station there. So the ABC, NBC, and CBS. Were you a Rams fan growing up? Rams? No. No, the Rams, were, the Rams were not a team. I mean, yeah, they had a Rams team, but nobody watched <laughs> the Rams. I mean, the last time I watched the Rams, Vince Ferragamo was the quarterback. Oh, wow. Okay, so let's go back in time. Yeah. It was the Laker town. Always a Laker town. Dodgers from time to time. But always a Lakers. Because you had, you had magic and oh, the whole thing going on. Well, there was Worthy Cream, Abdul Jabbar. We can yeah. go back. I remember as a kid, so I grew up in Inglewood until we moved out. Oh, to you grew up in Inglewood? Yeah. Wow. So we rode, we used to ride our bikes and wait outside the forum for the guys to get done with practice. And I remember seeing Kareem Abdul Jabbar come up the steps, and I was like, oh my God, this is the biggest human being ever. <laughs> Signed autographs for us. And, you know, he's not considered the nicest of people Correct. when it comes to stuff like that. But he stopped, yeah. and he did it. Um, and I remember seeing like James Worthy and you know uh, Michael Cooper, the old the old. Oh guys, yeah, man! The I Magic know Byron Johnson, Scott, Kurt Rambis. Yeah. yeah, I love those guys. But I, I was never the only white game. dude in South St. Louis, really? especially Irish Catholic, <laughs> cheering for the Lakers against you the Celtics. Celtics guy? I wasn't oh, a Celtics my God. guy. You're lucky you're alive today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember. I remember people looking at me weird. I'm going, "What's wrong? With What's wrong with that Of course, boy. I love Magic Johnson. You're not a Celtics guy, no. Your last name is McKernan, and you grew up in St. Gabriel's Parish. Yeah. Yeah, we got to we got to yeah. take him to Boston and school this boy. Yeah. I remember that that series. You know when the Lakers played. Well, any of the Lakers played the Celtics, and it was divided. I mean, let's let's be frank. Let's yeah. be open. All the black guys I wanted know. the Lakers and, to win. All the white guys wanted the Celtics and, and, to win. And me. It was I Magic was and Bird. <laughs> and you know what ruined it all? And I'm going to say ruined it all, but when you found out that Magic and Bird actually got along yeah. like each other, that kind of took something away yeah, from the rivalry. Right. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. They're not right. supposed to like each That's other. Right. That is true. But yeah. I, I can still picture what, like, Mikhail with a hard foul on oh, somebody. Gosh. They all fouled everybody yeah, in those yeah, days. Yeah. It was, it's like under the basket. You remember the, the games against the Pistons, though? Oh, yeah. They, they don't do that today. That's why people, when we do have, like, the fake Skip Bayless, just LeBron better than Michael Jordan thing, the serious point is it is a different game as different far world. as, They've, you know, defending nobody now. nobody defended Michael Jordan like that. My, I don't remember Michael ever getting a hard foul. Or getting well, they a, tried a, to in one of those Eastern Conference. And then finals. I think they realized, I think the league may have said, you know what? <laughs> this is our bread business. and butter. Who we may not want to mess finals, with this guy. Bill Lambeer or Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, I loved it, man. I loved it. Yeah. I was a huge Lakers fan. Now, okay, so you grew up here. Southside. And my understanding is nobody's really into the NBA here. Oh, I love is it. Is that a false? Uh, it's, it's, it's false. Yeah. I, I think, now, I think, I think it's not nearly as popular as it would be in almost any other top mm-hmm. 25 market. Mm. But I watch it. What were we watching? I think it was a Pacers-Cavs series. This is me and my wife. And I go, I mean, this is just phenomenal. Yeah. And I can't wait yeah. to watch the Rockets and the Warriors and most likely Tatum go yeah. up against LeBron. Yeah. I can't wait for that. And listen, I love the Blues, and I would love to see the Blues win a Stanley mm-hmm. Cup. It would be great because there's so many passionate fans who live and die with them. But in the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's like, yeah, it might be Winnipeg against Tampa I know. Bay. I know. And whereas in the NBA, I kind of like that the best teams get there. But you also know the players beyond their NBA years. You kind of know a couple of them from college. Right. You know, it's great for us now because we've got a guy from here. You know, you look yeah. at Jason Tatum, you think of a Bradley Beal. We, we've got faces now yep. that are, are making impact in the league. Great players so you get and a little great bit. people. That's a, that's yeah. a, a real positive thing. I, I do think, though, that if there was a team here, it's different. Because being in Washington, when you had the Wizards, and Wizards were never good while I was there. They had some names. You think about Juwan Howard, yeah. Chris Weber, guys like that. Yeah. They had names, but never a good team. Yet they had a following. Yet you were excited about the NBA. 
And if the team was here and you knew all the players, like you know them from afar, imagine the impact they would I have. I would love it. I mean, I, I, it's probably right before you got here, because you got here in 04, right? Mm-hmm. It's like 01, 02, 03, when Bill Laurie owned the Blues, that it, it was like a major discussion that yeah. he was going to the buy Grizzlies, the Grizzlies yeah. and move them here. Yeah. And that was a real thing. And then yeah. now there are all kinds of rumors as to what actually happened there. But uh, I was so excited about oh, that. I mean, yeah. to think, I mean, you're going right now to Sports City. And mm-hmm. at that time, just 14 years ago, mm-hmm. all four sports. You had, you know, imagine it. Oh, what and, and for people who say, oh, they can't afford it. Yeah, you can. Because there's people out there who watch those games on TV at a sports bar who would love to go to a game, and and if you ever go to an NBA game, you realize just how athletic it is. Oh. It's it's really hard to measure it when you think about a guy like LeBron James, so six foot nine, two seventy, who's sprinting, you know, not yeah. as fast as Usain Bolt, but with that type of intensity right. in a sprint, now jumping up through the ceiling and then getting back down and going the other way. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. You're like, wow, this is pretty good. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I saw him play down there when he was playing with Miami, and I saw him play yeah. with what was the big three at the time with Bosch and Were you courtside? D-Wade. You were courtside, right? I, I, I ball so hard. I, I, that's what I thought. <laughs> and you know who yeah. I was next to, for real? Drake? No. no. <laughs> Lil Wayne. Really? <laughs> I swear. Now, I want that picture. against the Wizards, I want that picture of you and Lil Wayne. Well, we weren't sitting next to each other, but uh, we were, like, within shouting distance. Okay. I mean, he said, sup, Tim. I said, sup, Weezy. <laughs> so we exchanged pleasantries. There's no tension, man. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> but that I would good. love the NBA. Yeah. And the, I would love, I mean, I realize it's probably not happening, but I would love There's the electricity to that. It I, really know, is. I don't think people, because people would dog it from afar. But when you're in the house and you're at a game, yes. it's pretty good. Uh, you can like take some of the worst teams and it's still – because there's going to be things that happen in the game that are going to make you go, ooh, yeah. well, I can't believe it. Yeah. You know, they don't show every highlight of every game on ESPN. But when you're there – okay, one of Michael Jordan's last games with in the NBA when he's playing with Washington, the Washington, yeah. And he takes – guy goes up for a layup and Michael comes over the top of the guy and takes the ball out of his hands as he's about to shoot. You're like, wow, that just yeah, happened. Uh, you know, I was at a game, um, playoff game when the Bullets, when the Wizards were still the Bullets, and they're at Chicago, and Jordan drops a double nickel. And I'm going, I, I witnessed this NBA All Star game in DC when the 50 greatest players were on the court. I had my son on the court with me. We walked into the arena as they're taking that picture of the 50 greatest players. And I, I forget how old Easton was at the time. I, I want to say he's probably eight, nine, ten somewhere in there. I went, you're there. You're there to see. You're this. there. You're there Only person he wanted guys. to see was Shaq. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you're there. And it's like this is incredible. What was it like to cover Jordan? Jordan, and I don't think people understand guys like Jordan, Cal Ripken. Um, it, it, they're sort of like a Kurt Warner in the sense that they give you their time. Okay, and when you covered Jordan, he first came in as team president and part owner, so he would do five minutes with all the stations a couple of times a year. Mm-hmm. So you walk into the room, and here's Michael Jordan. You sit down. He looks you right in the eye, shakes your hand. The conversations, if you and him have been friends forever, five minutes up, That's thank that. you very much, and then he goes into the next one. But you never feel like you're bothered him or he doesn't want to ask you your questions. You're nervous because you realize there's absolutely nothing you could ask Michael Jordan. He hasn't been asked already. Yeah, yeah. So you're trying to think, well, how do I, like, you know, warm up and get in with this guy? What? What's the nerve I need to tap to make it work? But he's great. Yeah. And and Cal Ripken Jr. was the same way. He's a guy that 
He would give you his time, do live shots with me, um, one-on-ones and stuff like that. He always had time. And so when I see these guys today who can't to do that, it shocks me. Yeah, that's surprising to hear. I figured you were going to say with Jordan that he wasn't – I don't, I don't know the right word. My first time around Michael Jordan, he was still with the Chicago Bulls. Uh-huh. And we did – and this is, this is how much TV has changed. So I work in, in D.C. We decided to do a series on the Chicago Bulls. This is when they had wow. Rodman. We, the whole idea was the road show. Yeah. And we went to New York, to Madison Square. We went to, uh, wow. to the home court, the United Center as well. And I remember Jordan, you know, waits till he gets completely dressed. He goes and stands in the middle of the room, and everybody swarms around him. There's so many people, I can't even get the mic yeah. in there. So I sort of wait for the crowd to thin. Next thing you know, I'm doing a one-on-one with Michael Jordan, just standing there because he's still there. He likes waiting for everybody to get done, and then he was done. It wasn't, all right, guys, you got five minutes, fire away. It was, that's it. Wow, I wouldn't have expected that. I mean, when you made the Kurt Warner analogy, just to me, people ask who's the who's the kindest athlete mm-hmm. relative to their star mm-hmm. power that I had covered. I said it's Kurt Warner. It's like an insta call. I mean, yeah. he's like a superhuman being. No, of course, this is this is Kurt Warner minus the religious background. I'm not saying George's not no, religious, no, no, but no, no, that's no, no, you know, know that's, that's not the platform I mean, that he talks on. No, no, no. Um, but he's just he a does kind, talk kind guy, and I oh, didn't yeah. realize that. I have smoked cigars with Jordan. Really? I mean, don't well, let me sit here and start reliving all my Please life. Please do. No, well, this, cool. this, this, this is what I want to hear. This is how this stuff comes back so to me when so I'm in when conversation. When were you smoking cigars with So Jordan? this is another great one. <laughs> <laughs> so after they eliminate the Wizards, who were the Bullets at that time, uh-huh. in that playoff series, they were in D.C. And that's when smoking so cigars like was a big deal. 98-ish teams? <sighs> yeah, it had to have been. Probably not a big upset that the Bullets were beaten by that team that had won like well, 70 games. Well, Jordan even said at that time that they were the next generation. This, this, these are the guys Oh, really? He crowned the, the Bullets? The season after that, they went from being the Bullets to the Wizards. So uh-huh. that'll probably give you a reference time-wise. Yeah. So they won the series. Cigars were a big deal. A lot of cigar rooms in D.C. Yeah. Well, they had the Grand Havana room. Downstairs, exclusive club. So I knew Jordan's agent, Curtis Polk and David Falk and all that. They go, hey, we're going to uh, Grand Havana. Why don't you come on down? Okay, don't yeah, say it twice. I mean, yeah. Go to Grand Havana room. Walk into this room, this huge oak table. There's Charles Oakley. There's uh, Michael Jordan. There's Scottie Pippen, David Falk. Um, I think there's somebody from the Wizards, Bullets. I couldn't even tell you who. But I'm in the room. Yeah. I go, holy crap. So Judy is married to Polk, or to Curtis Polk. And I go, and I knew her too. And I said, man, I, I can't go back to see my son and tell him I'm in the same room as Michael Jordan and I don't have anything to take. These before the days of cell phones, the cameras, and all that stuff. It was basically eyewitness account. So she pulls out the playoff ticket. Now, I remember this is the last game that the Wizards played as the Bullets, uh-huh. and it was a playoff game. She hands me the ticket, courtside seat, humongous ticket. And, hey, hey, Mike, can you sign this? He signs it to Easton. Oh, no way. Hands it back. I got to say, I went, Oh my God! <laughs> I go to so now I've got the eyewitness experience of smoking the stogie with Jordan, and now I've got the paper to prove it too. And uh, give it, was, it to it your was son. Crazy, man. It I was, imagine he still has. We still had it. We still had it. That's in a that's in a place. Yeah, that would be that <laughs> not that it's cool. birthday to think to anybody else, but to us, it's a big deal. Oh, that's but, a super cool thing. Yeah. Uh, best thing you covered in Washington was it? The, was it the Cal Ripken '95? Oh, gosh, when he broke the record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, that was a big deal. I was also, I covered Riddick Bowe when he beat Evander Holyfield for the title in uh, Vegas, outdoors oh, at you Caesar's that, Palace. Where the guy flew he's in? in? Is that where the guy No, no, that, that was, was uh, we didn't go to that one. This is when he won it the first time. Okay. What was that one? 
I know it was at Caesars, and the dude flew in. I don't yeah, know who was fighting. But that wasn't the one. Okay. No, this was the first time. All this right. is when uh, Holyfield had never been knocked down before, and he put him down several yeah, times. Yeah. Um, gosh, that was big. But no, I would say, as far as emotions and everything else, that was probably the most emotional eyewitness account of something I'd been around with somebody that I'd actually have followed. Because yeah. we were in the press box, and it was full. You know, but C-Leaks to everybody, everybody's crying. Really? Everybody's in tears. Because you're you're witnessing history and the standing ovation and the lap around the outfield and the shaking hands and hugging the wife. And, oh, it was just, it's incredible. Wow. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I, you know, I, you've been to Super Bowls, but never to cover a team that I, co- that I followed. You know, the whole time I was in Washington, the Redskins were never like in 91, I thought they went to the Super Bowl. Am I wrong on that? I came right after you that. came right after that. I oh. came right after that. So I got hired in 91. I started in 92. And the Rams were really good in 2003, yeah. and then you got here. Oh, and here's the great thing about— so I'm blaming you well, now for the these franchises. <laughs> yeah, and then they leave. And the, but when I was in D.C., I went to the 2000 Super Bowl in Atlanta. Oh, the fighting Rams so and before, Titans. So before the I ever storm. had any interest in being here, I'm covering the Rams yeah, you're Super Bowl. Kurt but it was a fun thing. Yeah. It's not my team. Yeah. Yeah, they won. <laughs> and then, you know, four years later, guess where I am? <laughs> right here. <laughs> I'm here. I mean, it's all just foreshadowing. We used to drive across country. We took the kids by Paris, lives in Vegas. So we would drive to D.C. And our second night, we always stayed. The first time we came through, we stayed at the Adams Mark. Uh, yeah. Second time we came through, we stayed at the Drury. And that became our place. We would stay there coming and going. Wow. Every so you year. were here. So you Fourth were here. July. You had no idea you'd wind up being here, but you were here. After, so I threw out, I'm sorry, let me rewind back. The one year I did the T-ball game in the White House lawn, I actually got to announce that with President Bush. Oh, And my Cal Ripken was the, was the commissioner of this little, whatever they called it. And so that was a mind-blowing thing. So I did that on, maybe it was a Saturday. So we decided to leave that Monday for vacation. So we drive. We got here that Wednesday, and we're staying at the Drury. We go sit outside the the Carmen's, I think it is, the little restaurant. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. we're sitting out there. Out comes Ozzy Smith, and I turn to my son. I go, "Do you realize in a matter of like three days, you saw two of the greatest shortstops of all time?" Yeah, (laughs) one the White House lawn, one who's in downtown St. Louis, and neither one's playing at the time. But you you just saw both of them at the same time. That was how did you get from? Washington to St. Louis. What was the process? Oh, that was there? an ugly, ugly, not ugly, ugly, but basically it came down to I had a contract offer to stay where I was for the same amount of money for three more year extension. And at that and time, were you, I thought, were you the sports director? I was sports director. Okay. I, I was that position from 92 to 2000. So you were at the same station as George Michael, and you guys were different. He was stations. at WRC, okay. the ABC, or the NBC. I was at the ABC, okay. JLA. And um, so they offered me the same contract. And I said, all right, cool. I was about to sign it. And then the guy from the Crosstown station calls me and goes, what's your contract situation? I said, well, it's just about up. He goes, hey, let's go to lunch. So I go to lunch. His name is Dave Roberts. He was the um, news director at WUSA, which is the Gannett station. Yep, 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 yep. Brother of, uh, sister station, brother of KSDK. And uh, he starts throwing these numbers out there and doing these shows. I'm like, oh, man, this is mind-blowing. It was substantially more than what I was making. In St. Louis? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. To go to, to stay in D.C., but oh, across town. to go across town. Right, so right, he was right, recruiting, right. like, people to come to the station. So they signed Tracy Neal, who was the news anchor at the Fox station. Okay. She had one-year non-compete. I also have one-year non-compete. So my station gets a little ticked that, one, I talked to somebody else, and, two, I hadn't signed this contract. So they gave me, like, hours to sign this contract. Oh, wow. And I'm still talking over here. I'm like, oh, I don't, well, I don't know. I don't know. 
So then, so, oh, so let me that follow because I find these things, so, yeah. especially these damn non-competes. Yeah. Uh, so, are you in a spot where if you go across town, you're making a lot more money? Is that is that what you're saying here? Yes. Okay. All yes. Right. So that's why I'm like, so, well, so this is a serious. I'm trying decision. to do business, and I'm also thinking, well, maybe my guys are going to come back and throw some more on the table. Percentage wise, because I can't ask dollars, well, I can, but I won't. But but percentage wise, what are we? What, what kind of um, difference are we talking? I would say. More than a quarter more. Wow. I, I would, okay. So this was, is, this is pretty, like 30, 35. I mean, I, I'm not a math guy. I'm guess let's just say 30% more. Okay. It, it, was, it was a lot more money. And I thought, oh, man, I, I can't. Yeah, let's wait. So I'm thinking, that's a lock. Honestly, that's a lock. Well, Like the get, job with the Gannett Station in yeah. D.C. is a lock. Okay. So they get Tracy over there. Then they decide, well, they can't have me with a one-year non-compete. Because they're paying you both while you're not working? Right. So okay. now I'm, and that amount of money. So now I've got a tuck tail. I go back. And they're like. Oh, nope. No, we'll get back to you. So now this is oh. going into Thanksgiving and Christmas. So you're not employed now at this point? No, I'm employed. I'm still in a but contract. But you're just in this awkward spot. The contract is tick, tick, tick. It's just about out. We won the contract. End of year? Uh, eh, eh, Roughly. Roughly. All right. So they come back and they go, well, we, yeah, we'd like you to stay. You could keep your good net and your, your um, uh, AFTRA buyout money. But uh, we want to pay you roughly half, <gasps> roughly half. And I'm going, I can't work it. My bills are not for a guy making half. Because if I could afford to work on half, I'm banking a lot of money on the other end of that. No, that was not the case. So now I'm in a panic. I'm in a serious panic. I got a family. I got a house. I got cars. I got a family. <laughs> <laughs> so I go back to the other guy and I said, you know, I'm in a situation. A lot of it has to do with what was going on here. And so, you know, he felt for me and he goes, well, he's checks the Gannett, I guess. And, you know, we got a station in St. Louis. What do you think about that? I go, dude, I have to have a job. You know, he goes, well, it wouldn't be for the same amount of money, but, you know, hopefully they can do something for you. And I came in and interviewed here. Cost of living is less. Yeah, there's a cost And, you know, everything was less, but it was an opportunity to continue to do what I was doing and, you know, feed the family. And so I... You know, yeah. I mean, what choices did I have? So I get the contract. I sign a contract. Send it back. Federal Express. Later that same day, the Fox affiliate general manager, or I'm sorry, news director calls. And she goes, I had a conversation with general manager. He and I want to have lunch with you. We really would like to have you come over and be our morning news anchor. Oh, my God. <laughs> so. I go. So Fox you know, wasn't involved initially, much. right? No, this, no. This is now we have a third party in DC, and you've already signed the contract signed on the same it. day. Yeah, and I said, you know, that's really nice of you. I appreciate it, um, but I already signed a contract, and I was really bad to go back on my word that I was going to the other place. And here we are, what fourteen years later. Not only am I here, but I'm also a morning morning guy. Before. Yeah. So it all kind of, in a way, worked itself out. Um, but it wasn't necessarily. What I wanted to do was to leave D.C. I mean, I really enjoyed being there and all that, but I greatly appreciate being here. Um, as I look back for raising a family and all that, way better. Yeah. Um, it wasn't about keeping up with the Joneses and stuff like that. It was about doing the job, enjoying the job, enjoying the family, enjoying the community. And in D.C., it was more about people, places, and things. What did you own? What do you own? What do you drive? What do you smoke? Where do you go? Where do you eat? Where do you live? That was way more of an issue than, uh. you know, how well you did your job was always a part of being a professional. But the persona of looking and being a certain way, people expected me to. I remember I used to have a Suzuki Samurai. 
And when I first moved to D.C., and the news director saw me, and he goes, calls me in the office. He goes, you know, you got to get a better car. I go, what do you mean? He goes, we have an image. You got to be a part of the image. And so I said, well, I can't afford a better car. I go, you know, you guys need to give me some money to get a car. So they cut me a check for $5,000 to basically trade my car in and go buy a new car. No way. I kid you not. No way. Kid you not, man. And I, I was like, okay. So that sort of told me now I got to be a certain way. So you start to buy, you know, you're shopping Nordstrom's and you're shopping Neiman's and you're shopping Saks because, again, you got to look the part. Did they give you clothing allowance? I had a clothing allowance, $2,500 uh, a year. And so basically you buy the clothes, they reimburse you. Uh-huh. Um, and you own the clothes. It wasn't like, you know, right, once right, you reimburse right. me, you had to keep them there. Right. So that was cool. But um, no, it was all image, image, image. Wow. So life changed completely to come here, not just for the perspective of, you know, Midwest and East Coast. But also for the perspective of values, you know, values were it was a lot better value-wise to be here to understand what really matters in life. Really, yeah. that's an interesting some perspective. heavy stuff. So, so what would you say w- value-wise that you absorbed and, and oh, took I, in I think for your putting family? family first, yeah, and you know, my kids and my wife, and really embracing. It wasn't about where we lived or if I had a Mercedes or something like that. It really was about being there for the ball games and, you know, laughing and joking at, at the table or, you know, watching TV together. Things that I really look back at now because they're, you know, 27 and 22 and live in other places that you cherish. Yeah. Um, and I always talk to the people who have young kids and say, you know, and cherish those moments. And I don't say it because, you know, ha, 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 cherish the moment. No, because, dude, there's going to be a time where that kid doesn't want to talk to you, doesn't want to see you, and you may not be able to see them. And you're going to miss it. Yeah, you're going to miss yeah. it greatly. I mean, I, I look at kids now with the young kids, and I go, I remember when we had to change diapers. Yeah, I remember when they first learned to walk, first learned to ride a bike, or in the case of my son, never really learned to ride a bike, <laughs> or you know, took them out for their first drive and things like that. You yeah. miss those times. How old are your kids now? My son is 27, lives in Chicago, works at DePaul, uh, works at admissions there. Oh, yeah. And my daughter is 22, just graduated from Mizzou. She's a kindergarten teacher at Battle elementary school in um, Columbia. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So I feel pretty good that we got two college graduates. Yeah. And I'm not so sure that would have happened in D.C. Really? Well, just because, I mean, obviously they would have gone to college and I would have pushed them to go to college. But I don't know if the choices would have been the same that they had here for going to college. And my son went to Watch U. Yeah. And he graduated from Watch U. He was like 34 in his ACT. But he also got to play football yeah, at I was about Watch to say, U. Didn't he play football? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, got to learn some great life lessons of, Almost flunking out of school and things like that. So he had a 34 on his ACT, but he almost flunked out. I... Because, okay, he's extremely smart, but he also has an attention span of if it doesn't stimulate him. And then when you're on your own for the first time, sure. it's only watch you, but he's on your, on your own for the first time. No one's waking you up to go to class. Right. Uh-huh. So guess who wasn't waking up and going to class? <laughs> there you go. But I did the same thing when I went to with the Oregon. Yeah. Again, no one's waking you up. So you mean I don't have to go to class? You're yeah. not taking role? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the same route I took, sir. Yeah. Same route that I took. Four, that four-hour um, biology lab once a week? Yeah. yeah, I think I saw it once a month. Yeah, I think I'm going <laughs> to fade that. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying our conversation with Rennie Not here on the Tim McKernan Show. I know I really enjoyed having the conversation with Rennie. We always recommend that if you're enjoying it, that you send me an email or give it a positive review on iTunes or wherever it is that you may podcast. Uh, that helps the cause. And uh, my email address is tmckernan at insidestl.com. Maybe you have suggestions or something along those lines for the show. I can tell you this, 
you're interested in advertising, we certainly would welcome uh, your support of the podcast because when it gets down to it, that's the name of the game. And James Carlton uh, knew that the podcast would have a following before the podcast even started, and he's been on board with us. And so if you are not happy with your insurance agent, or even if you are, I still would recommend having a conversation with James Carlton at 314-961-4800 or online at carltoninsurance.net. With home buying season heating up after you get pre-approved with Ryan Kelly, be sure to get a quote from a top agency and provider of the number one home insurer in North America, James Carlton in the State Farm insurance agent team that he has in Webster Groves. 90% of homeowners in Missouri escrow their premium with their mortgage and have no idea what they're paying or what they're covered for. Call James today to protect your biggest asset. In fact, go to his website right now and go check him out at carltoninsurance.net and you can see what the good word is. The switch is easy. They do all the work for you. Just takes one phone call. Or you can apply online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. So you get to St. Louis in 2004. Yeah. Here is here is what I, my premise, I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about mm-hmm. this. St. Louis, for all of its positives, if there is a huge negative, and this is coming from somebody who is from here, mm-hmm. it's so provincial. It's got to be one of the most provincial top 25 markets in the country. I can't imagine what would be greater uh, as far as provincialism than St. Mm-hmm. Louis, and and especially with sports. And so it has always been, whether it be radio or television, tough for somebody who's not from here yes. to be accepted here. Yes. Did you experience that? Yes. And I think a part of it didn't help because of the station that you came into. You came into the number one station. You came into the familiar station, the station that was in everybody's homes. And they knew these people and they loved these people. So not only were you a disruption to that world, you're also from the outside. No one knew you, where you went to school, what your religion was, nothing. And... I came alone. I lived here by myself until June. Oh, really? Um, I lived at the Chase at a studio apartment. You know, my dad passed away in April, a couple of months that I've been here. So there was a lot going on in my life. And at the same time, I'm trying to prove to these people that I belong here. But I had so many outside distractions. And I was, you know, I was lonely. I mean, to be honest with you, I'd come home and sit in an apartment. and That was it. Or I'd go down to the, to the Chase and I'd drink some martinis with the bartenders, whatever. So being the outsider was not fun. And, you know, you got some phone calls. You got what, some what emails. Were the phone calls and emails? They like? were rude. I mean, they were rude. They were racist. They were rude. They were, and I wouldn't say they were just racist. It was more along the lines of somebody else should have gotten the job. You shouldn't be here. You're not from here. You don't know this. You don't know that. And, yeah, I was ignorant to a lot of things. Um, I didn't grow up with the Cardinals. I didn't grow up with the Blues. I had to learn these things. I mean, I grew up with the Rams in the sense that they were a football team, and I knew their background. But baseball was never my game. Neither was hockey. Yeah. So I had to learn that stuff and learn it on the fly. Um, as far as the high schools and the schools go, again, someone says to Smet, yeah, sure, whatever. Oh, CBC, yeah, whatever. Oh, no, okay, those are the prestigious schools. Okay. All right, let me understand this. Uh, so it took a while yeah. to get into all those avenues. And, you know, I'm not a person that goes out to eat dinner. I don't hang out with people. And so people, again, didn't know you because you never were – around them enough to get a feel for who you were. And so I think people probably thought that either I was too good to be with them or something. Mm-hmm. But I just that's just me. Kind mm-hmm. of a shy person in that in that time of my life. Was it weird because if I if I recall correctly, uh was Malcolm Briggs there Malcolm or was he just still, leaving? So was it was me, Frank, Malcolm and Kelly. Okay. Kelly all right. All right. Yeah. 2004. 2004. So I was still doing TV for like a year for that time. Mm-hmm. And so you were the sports director. Mm-hmm. 
And then when you came in, if I'm not mistaken, there were people, and this is like at a time when people like would pay attention to this stuff. I felt mm-hmm. like more than they do now, mm-hmm. like who became the sports director. Like mm-hmm. I'm not sure people, mm-hmm. especially like Nick and Seamaster's age, would even know who sports directors were at the yeah. various stations mm-hmm. now. Now it's just anchors. Yeah, it's whoever. But Pretty at much. that time, it was a big deal, and people were like, oh, I wish Frank would have gotten the job, or I yeah. wish Malcolm would have gotten the yeah. job. And then you come in as yeah. the outsider, and there's the two Whoa. guys, and now we got a problem. Whoa. Yeah. So you pretty much know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nothing for me to explain. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. And, and it was rough. And, and I didn't like people because I didn't feel welcomed. I didn't say I didn't like people, but I, I just I had my guard up. Um, and that was new for me because in D.C., I never had my guard up, even in a you company of other people. You were a desired commodity by two other stations, and you're at one station. Was but, give you another three but that was deal. to the end. But even when I first came in, we all hung out. Yeah. We go on road road trips for NCAA games. We all hung out, smoked cigars, drank beer all night long, party. I remember one night, it was me, Dave Feldman, who used to work for ESPN. He worked for the Fox affiliate in, in uh, D.C. Um, uh, gosh, the guy's name from the... NBC. Anyway, we all hung out and we made fun of George Michael all night. <laughs> we call him the king and he loved it because he felt like he's one of the boys. Yeah. You know, and his guys were like, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this to George. But we <laughs> just having a good time. And that's the way it was. Yeah. Oh, Chick Hernandez. So Chick, that's his name. So Chick works for the Comcast station in D.C. And Chick was another cigar smoking guy, Cuban guy. We had such great times. Yeah. And so I never had this feeling of that competition. You know, you did your job, did as best you could and you wanted to beat the other guy. But it was like I hated the guy. Yeah. But then I come here, and there was like this, this edge within the own building where there's a competition. And then it, eventually all that eases out. I think once people get to know you, all that eases out. Right. But it was tense. You know, it was pretty tense. That's I remember meeting you and going, God, this guy, I think I met you like at a blue skate. I'm just like, this guy is the nicest guy, and I can't imagine mm. what he's dealing with. Is mm-hmm. A, an outsider, yeah. B, a guy who got the job over yeah. Frank and Malcolm, mm-hmm. and C, is an African-American. Mm-hmm. Three strikes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, I never looked at it, and, you know, and I I understand race and all those things. So trust me, I know there's a huge issue. But I never try to hold that as any type of crutch or, you know, I was never, I was always taught to do the best you can. And not just try, but do the best you can. And that's the way I've always viewed life. And so work hard, do what you needed to do. If you had to be there at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning, so be it. You didn't get off to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so be it. That's just how I've always lived my life. And the example that my dad always said, it was never about, you know, the, the white person's going to hold you down. No, that was never said to me. It was said work hard, and then I watched his example of working hard. So that's the way I've always treated it. So when people talk to me about race relations and all that, yeah, I know that it exists. Yes, I've experienced it. Yes, I see it. Yes, it needs to change. But I don't then present that to be a reason for something to happen to me. Mm-hmm. That's you, the way I look at it. You got to a point, though, it had to come, obviously, because mm-hmm. they, they put you in a prominent spot as anchoring the mornings where you did clearly become accepted. At least from my yes. standpoint, that has certainly happened. Do you yes. recall a, a moment or in a story or something along those lines where you're like, you know, this wouldn't have happened when I first got I remember her. people once saying, you went to so-and-so school, right? Uh, no. What, they're like what about that like school? high school? No. <laughs> yeah. I go, no. No, I'm from Los Angeles. You're from Los Angeles? Yeah. Yeah, from, I thought you, no. And, and so that's when you start to get the sense, and I don't know when that happened. I want to say it's when my son was playing football at uh, Parkway Central, and you're in the stands with the parents. Yeah. And so you started to feel like, I had friends now. You look forward to those Friday nights. I look forward to Saturdays when he played for Wash U. look forward to my daughter's soccer games. 
Because then there was this group of people that were my friends, were my circle. I was okay now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't just TV or yeah. let me go to the game and say hi to so-and-so and so-and-so. These were people who I had no association with within the work environment. And we were cool. Yeah. That that's when I really started to feel like, okay, we're here. Yeah. We're a community. Yeah, and this is this is our home. So just a couple of years ago, you have a couple of major things going on. Mm-hmm. Your health situation. Mm-hmm. And I remember we would text about it. And at the time, my sister who who played soccer at St. Louis University, she was an all state player uh in high school and won state championship, and she just had a time where she couldn't get up and walk without being exhausted. exhausted. Mm-hmm. And so when we were texting, I remember saying, hey, I, I know nothing about medicine, but I wonder if it's a blood clot. Yeah. And that is what. It wasn't a blood clot. Clots, huh? It was significant blood clots. My lungs were basically full of clots. And so when they removed these clots, it looked like a set of lungs when they set them out. Um, so in 2013, during the World Series, I kept feeling like tightness, short of breath, but not a heart attack, but like I couldn't get my air. I didn't understand it. And then when we went to the SEC championship game, I couldn't walk like 20 feet. Yep. I had to stop. Come back from that game, had to get wheeled off the airplane, wheeled down to security because I couldn't walk. Wife takes me to the cardiologist on that Tuesday, see him at 7, 7.30. I'm in ICU at St. Luke. I've got significant blood clots in my lungs. They're like, what are we going to do? Da, 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 da. Put me on blood thinners. Give me a diuretic. I stayed on that for about until mm, 16, so three years. And I wasn't getting better. In fact, I was getting worse. And my wife finally said, you need to get on the heart scan. I go get the heart scan, and these people are in a panic. Like, oh, my God, you need to call your doctor right now, right now. And I remember we were in Nordstrom's, and my phone rings. You got to call your doctor right now. We go see the doctor. He goes, you know, it looks like you're not getting better, but, you know, it might just be this or that. Wife goes, no, we need to see another person. So he gets me in touch with uh, Dr. Panjothi, who's at Mercy, because they deal with what's called pulmonary hypertension, which is what I was diagnosed with. I go see him. He sees the numbers. He's, like, freaking out. And I'm going, when specialists freak out, now I'm freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> And it was so bad when I went to go see him that I couldn't walk from the car to the into the hospital. It took me probably 10 minutes because I, I was so out of breath. Oh, my God. He sends me to Dr. Takanala. Dr. Nala goes, okay, we're going to Barnes. Puts me in Barnes for a week. Puts me on these um, diuretics. I was 234 when I checked into Barnes on a Tuesday. It was Cardinal's home opener day. The following Tuesday when I checked out, I was 214. And all it was was water. They just, I was on diuretics. I was peeing like you don't know what. And I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> the bad part was you couldn't pee in a toilet because they wanted to collect the urine to keep track of how much. So there's like these pictures oh, yeah. in the bathroom well, that are just full of That's what I was pee. doing. Oh, yeah. my God. Really? <laughs> yes. So we do that. We lose the weight. Um, my kid, Because my kidneys started to go. My kidneys were having problems. I ended up with gout. So the bottom of my leg was three times the size that it is. So when the Blues played that game seven against the Chicago uh, yeah. uh, Blackhawks, yeah. I couldn't even put my shoe on. I couldn't walk. I was in bed. Somehow I got dressed. I went down there, covered pregame, did you know, did my job, and me, my foot was like Fred Flintstone. It was incredible. Yeah. My wife was, would tell you I shouldn't have been doing yeah. anything like yeah. that. Then July, I get out to San Diego because there's only three places to do this surgery. I get to San Diego. Um, I pass the test for the for the surgery. Went into surgery at 7 o'clock in the morning on Friday. 
Didn't wake up again until 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. So there's a whole day of my life that I miss. The surgery is a nine-hour process where they basically open heart. They open them a chest up, put you on an artificial heart and lung, drop your body temperature down into the 60s so your, your organs don't deteriorate. And then he goes and takes all the clots out, just pulls the clots out, scrapes them out of the body. Um, the next day, you know, I got tubes and all that crap in me that wake me up and then start the procedure of getting me on my feet and start to talk and walk again. But I didn't walk for probably four days. I mean, because standing up, I was like, Ugh. yeah. And I just started walking because uh, the main thing I wanted to do was I couldn't leave the hospital without an oxygen oxygen tank unless I could keep my oxygen level above 95 for a walk. And so they put it in the treadmill and they make you walk about four miles an hour. So it wasn't cheap. And I kept it up between 90 and 95. So I didn't have to take oxygen with me. Got discharged. I was home for probably two weeks. And I said, I can't take this anymore. And I said, I'm coming to work. I told the doctor, you either clear me or I'm going anyway. And I'll just lie to him and tell him I was clear. <laughs> but I, you know, I got the note, came in and did it. And, you know, I work half a day and it was a slow process. Uh, and now I walk. Like I said, uh, an hour, three miles a day, you know, back in the lifting and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, I get emotional. I cry because you realize when you're walking, you couldn't do this. And now you can. Yeah. And think about if you weren't here. So now that you are here, what can you do to be a better person while you're here? And it sounds cliche and blah, 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 but it's real. Yeah. You have got to do what you can to be a better person. Not just for you, but for everybody you come in contact with and make them feel a little bit better as they go through their day. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how nice it feels yeah. to do stuff like yeah. that. That's, that's a, I mean, I recall the whole thing going on and how when it was going on, there was this huge outpouring of support for you. Blew me away. Yeah. Man. But see, it, doesn't, it didn't blow me away because everybody who knows you knows just a well, great, great person. I, I mean... My wife, she's, you know, monitoring social media and stuff, and she's going, this is incredible. And I think it was a video I did where um, I was in the hospital, and I talked about where I was, and then, you know, they had it on the air and on social media, and it just flooded. You know, I wasn't on Facebook and stuff like that at that time. So it just flooded. And, I I mean, I would sit there and look at – I just look at the numbers. And I remember my son saying, you can't say that people don't like you anymore. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I, I guess somebody does, Yeah, you know. And then you start to realize that it isn't so much about you anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there is this greater purpose in life. Yeah. And I think that's when it started to, to happen. We start to wake up and realize that. And really, it's been the last probably year or so when I really started to understand that this isn't about me and what I have and what I can get. It's about what you give. Um, I drive a Mini Cooper now. I mean, you know, I've always drove a Mercedes Benz. Yeah. Why? Like, if I had saved all that money, how much money I have right now? I wasn't trying to buy this, you know, and be this other guy. You know, and for a while there, I'd go by the Goodwill and see what type of secondhand stuff was available because what the hell? It's just recycled material. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. And you got a nice perspective going here. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe did, I'm just did tired. It, did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did, it, did it take the health thing? Well, you think that's what it was? Is I think that it, it you took think that, that to sort of just look at life differently. And as I said, I'm really emotional now a lot of the times. And you start emotional to take you stock. think that you almost, you know, I facing? have an appreciation. Like if I, and this, this sounds crazy. So I'm at the game when the women won the gold medal in hockey. 
And, you know, the USA, the USA, the chance and all that. National Anthem plays. And I put my hand over my heart and I start singing. And I got tears streaming down my face. I'm in the media. I'm covering this game. But it was such an incredible experience. I'm walking down um, in Pyeongchang and I got the backpack and the camera and the tripod. And I'm hauling ass to get somewhere. And I just, tears are crying. I'm going, I'm walking with this gear on. And two years ago, I couldn't walk at all. Yeah. I'm in Korea yeah, yeah. walking around like this. <laughs> this is blowing my mind. And when I meet people down, like I, I talked to uh, Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski. And I'm going, okay, I don't feel like dealing with any divas. It's, I'm not that person anymore. It's yeah. like, you're going to be real or I don't have time for it. Yeah. They were the realest people in the world. Really? But the perspective on it was different because I went into it like, we're all just going to be real or this ain't happening. Yeah, yeah. And it happened. I, like I walked away going, these guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way life is. Uh, I, I think when, I, when I'm when i looking at people and dealing with people, the celebrity stuff and the, the great stuff, I go, no, we're just we're all just here. Uh, you know, I shoot you, you bleed. You shoot me, I bleed. Uh, we're, we're all just here. So... Did, did the health thing coincide with the change from sports to news, or was it too, too in a way, totally unrelated? In a, in a way, in a way. Um, it's not that I couldn't do that job, but there's a lot more movement to do that job than the job I do now. The sports you know, as job. far as, yeah. That's interesting Because you're going hear. here, you're going there. Right, you but know. you were only—we would talk about this, like Doug would say this. You know, we're doing the show, and he goes, God, Rennie is down there at a blue skate, and then mm-hmm. he's at, at 10 o'clock, mm-hmm. wherever it might be, mm-hmm. and then he's on the air at 1030 at night. I mean, But you're that's the in, job. That's what you're supposed to do. My job isn't how somebody do my job. My job is for me to do my job. So if I could be at the skate, I like to be at the skate. I like to see the guys and meet the guys. I like to be in the arena. I love that feeling. Now, it's selfish of me because others should be able to take part in that. But the problem is because in sports you only have a limited amount of time, it's hard to give that time up to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know. And so I used to always go. I loved it. I loved being around the guys. I loved the idea that, when I talk about Tarasenko, I talk about Tarasenko because I know Tarasenko. I was there for practice. I'm not getting secondhand information. Mm-hmm. This is what I saw. This mm-hmm. is what I know. This is what I heard. Mm-hmm. That's why I like to do it. Plus, it like, goes back to my dad. It's time to work. It's time to work. Yeah, it's not yeah. time to wait yeah. and let somebody else do it. Then hope that you know you get enough pieces. No, you go get it. Yeah. That was me. My kids always, they always knew that because that's the way they grew up. So they never felt like Dad wasn't around them. It was, what are you doing home? Shouldn't you be somewhere right now? You know, when I was home, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, huh, I guess we got to entertain Dad because he's here now. Because <laughs> everybody had their things to do. Right. And right, it was, right. and, and yeah, that's a weird we spot. I had to kind of feel crappy for you in a sense, you know, that. My were... wife was always there. So my wife got to see everything. Yeah. My, no, my senior, my son's senior year at Watch U, he was player of the year as a wide receiver for the conference. Wow. And she got to go to every game. And I'm so glad she did because she got to see all of his great moments and be a part of them. And she got to go to all of my daughter's soccer games and be a part of them. And, you know, dad would show up here and there. But when dad showed up, it sort of made it special. Yeah. Because, oh, dad's here. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let me act like a fool for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you make the change from sports to news. How does that happen? Um, man, that's a long process. First of all, it's totally different. It's totally different. You don't have to talk fast. Um, it's different things you talk about. Uh, and, and the one thing. Were you thing, hesitant to do it? No. I mean, when I was asked to do it, I, it was some thought. It was more like the hours. When sure. Asked. But, you know, it was some thought. I told my wife, you know, they were, they're asking about me because she liked the way her, or me and Allie kind of got along on this little rehearsal thing. And 
they thought the chemistry was good. And your co anchor so, is Allie Corey. Yeah, Corey. And you should know her. She's really, <laughs> she's really cool. I mean, she is. She's a she's a beer drinker. Oh, is that you know, right? She's thirty years old. She's much younger than me. But she's you know she knows how to have fun. God she, bless she knows her. how to be thirty. And her her <laughs> husband Lucas is a great guy. I mean, it's it's just such a fun little family in the morning. But the difference between doing that in sports, you, you know, you have to be yourself to do this. And I thought I had to be this authority. And so I was always like, here's the news today. No, 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 no. Don't do that. And it took until probably I went to the Olympics to figure that out. Oh, really? so when so I was that at, recently? Yeah. Wow. Because when I was at the Olympics, I could only be me. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a prompter. Or, this is what's going on. Right. And the feedback I got was such where, you mean it's okay to be myself? It's all right if I make a mistake and then kind of say, hey, I'm sorry. Da, da, da. Yeah. That's what people do in a normal conversation. Oh. That's why I love radio over okay. TV. That's why I love <laughs> now you're experiencing that, I guess, for yeah. having three hours. You can yeah. be yourself. It's the best. It's the best. And, you know, and, and it works better for all of us to be yourself because we all bring different things to the table. Mm-hmm. So if you're being you and let them be them, then it's the wills, the cause, sure. you know, kind of clicking like that. And, you know, when you do the evening, it's mm-hmm. boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And um, it's more authoritative. Uh, it's It's quicker. And so I, that was my example for 30 years. Now I got a whole different set of rules. And I could never see myself doing other than what I do now. I mean, I, I don't sit there and go, well, one day maybe if Mike ever retires, maybe I could be up for that. That's not anything I even think about. This is about. what you want. This is exactly but what you're doing. I, what I'm want. in the here and the now. I'm, yeah. I'm today and then tomorrow's tomorrow. I'm yeah. in the here and the now. Yeah. And, I, and I realize after going, you talk about the health thing, after going through the health thing, that's how you got to live life. You got to d- deal with the here and the now. Putting so much stuff off for tomorrow, I mean, that's great financially to have funds set aside. And But if you sit there and go, oh, tomorrow I'll do it, you know, tomorrow's really, really is not a problem. Mm-hmm. I talked to a nurse yesterday. Um, I was doing a story for Nurses Week. And uh, she said, because I told her what I went through, she goes, oh, my God, I had a patient die of that right in front of me. I go, what? She goes, yeah, you know. I go, yeah, I asked my doctor how I would die. And she goes, you know how you would, right? I go, yeah. He said I would just drop. He goes, yeah. So I'm talking, this lady is, she's getting discharged just today. Dropped. That's how it would be. Yeah. Gonna... And she, she goes, she took a breath and then Whoa. dropped. And I go, what? She goes, yeah. And I go, my doctor said, it wouldn't be a case of, oh, I'm having a heart attack. Grab my heart and do some CPR. Your heart would have just stopped. And that, that would have been it. And he goes, and you were right there. Because I asked the nurse after the surgery in San Diego, I said, you know, how bad was it? She goes, well, you weren't the worst, but you're pretty bad off. Man. And I had no clue. It's a good thing Shoot, your wife said, work go, go talk day. to another doctor, right? I mean, uh, that a huge my thing? wife saved my life. I will give her credit for that. Don't, <laughs> she she's not going to hear this, is she? <laughs> yes, I'll give her credit for that. But, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, I look at Ann Allred. And Ed Allred is one, Ann Allred is one of my heroes because I realized that she had kidney transplant. You know, she was doing dialysis overnight, coming in every day and doing her job with the same amount of energy that she had when she was perfectly healthy. How did you do that? Oh, by the way, she just had a baby too. Yeah, you know. So I, yeah, I know her husband yeah. Drew. I don't. I don't know yeah. Anne, but I know Drew. Anne, Anne, Anne is a lot like uh, Allie, in the sense that I would love to drink beers with her and talk trash and do all that type of stuff because she'll give it to you. Oh, Dude, really? She can give. Oh, 
Oh, don't get into a back and forth with her. <laughs> really? Oh, she'll put you to shame. Oh, what do we got going on here? She will KSCK put you to shame. Anchors. There's a whole thing going she on. She will put Guess you I to gotta shame. Guess I got to have them in. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, I'm going to tell you, I was telling Allie, I said, we have got to go on somebody's radio show so they could really get to see what it's really like Come to be on around in. The you. Come on the water's warm. You guys I mean, have done it seven. Is, we started seven. She's great. Yeah? Uh, she is great. Really? Oh, man. She's the kick in the pants. And the thing about it is it's right around 10 o'clock. Where the real alley starts to come out, because that's when you start to get tired and you start to get a little nutty. And she has like extremely curly hair when it's not straight, and that's when her hair starts to go. <laughs> like you could watch the transformation. She sits across from me, you know, kind of catty quarter. You can watch the transformation, and she's like fun and loopy. And we all went to the ball game for my birthday, and I was having a car issue, so I couldn't stay. Uh, I had my car get in the shop to get a service, so I couldn't stay for the end of the game, and because they all went over to Ten Cup. Our tin roof after that yeah. and hung out. And, but that's what they like to do. How great is that? Hey, keeps me young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I turned 54 last week. And I feel like, man, I'm, I could be young like that. These, these, yeah. these 30 year olds. Let me be with these guys. Let me ask about this. I'm anxious to get your perspective on this. I, was it like five, six months ago, you decided to address oh. an email? Yeah. In which. Yeah. No, it wasn't even that long ago. It was right before the Olympics. It was right before the Olympics. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like mm-hmm. I didn't. Mm-hmm. In which somebody. I don't have the email in front of me. I don't have the clip in front of me. They called me a thug. Thug, which, well, which, which I, for years, have been saying on the radio that's a code word. It's now a it's code kind word. of understood. Well, it's, now yeah. it's kind of like yeah. understood that it's yeah. a code word. Once but people, I saw it for years. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's the code word. Yeah, once people stop using the N word openly um, and then <laughs> find another word. And I, I love when people go, the N word. Well, we all know what you're saying. So you're just supposed to go ahead and say it. Um, and it was it became thug, and so it was like code, and maybe he didn't necessarily mean it that way, but that's how I took. So it. what did what would because I have my because said. I have my uh, the goatee that I still have now that I look like a thug. Wow, and that I, I wasn't was. a proper representative of the United States. I shouldn't be going to the Olympics. It didn't end with where's Bob Costas when you need him. <sighs> and so I just kind of put it on Facebook, like I can't believe I just got this email and left it, and then there's reactions on that. So I come into work the next day, and they're like, you really should address this. You really should address now, this. Now, who's saying that? Like a co-anchors, producers? Uh, producers. You know, our, you know, our, our right. group. And I said, no, you know, I don't really want to get into it. I don't want to cause all these issues. And then I started to think about it, how you are an example to people. Um, you are a role model to people. Because there are kids out there who are going to look at you as, look, I, there's the black face. Maybe I can do that, too. I mean, you are an example no matter what you want to say. And no matter what you do, somebody's watching you. And I thought, okay. How can I do this with dignity without trying to be, you know, let me call this guy out. No, just take this opportunity to sort of try your best to let people understand. And I think what really bothered me was the fact that here I was, 53 years old, an accomplished journalist, 30 years in the business, married for 31 years, two kids who are college graduates, and I was being called a thug because of my appearance. Okay, person who's never seen me off of work, never saw me in jeans and a T-shirt where maybe I could look that way with my hats and stuff, but always on the air in a shirt and a tie, speaking properly or as best I could. Always try to be a positive role model, never been arrested. You know, none of, no, no record. And this person was, was now demoralizing who I was by calling me a thug, taking away my college education and everything else. And I got no. No, you need to say something. And how are you going to do this? And so basically, I just outlined my life. And this is why you're wrong. And yeah, I am a proper representative of the United States because we're a melting pot. We're all races, all people, 
all religions, all economic backgrounds, all shapes, sizes, hairdos, whatever you want to call it. I go, you are not a representative of the United States because you're narrow-minded, and that's not our values. Our values are to be more open and more accepting of people because they're our neighbors. And that was basically my response to it. Um, you know, and I got some great stuff said back to me, and I still, to this day, people will compliment, you know, what I said. And I go, well, thank you, but, you know, it's more just trying to educate. Um, and I got a lot of people who said the opposite of, you know, I can't believe you did that, and, you know, your people are always trying to play the race card. And I mm-hmm. wasn't playing nothing. I was just answering. And maybe people who, who didn't understand what that meant have now a better understanding of it. I thought the way that you handled it, had you, like, gone off on him, mm-hmm. would have detracted from the message you were trying to convey. So yeah. the manner with which you handled it made it so, to me, not only endearing but thought-provoking. Like you're laying that. out a case but calmly. Yeah. It's like when I'm watching an attorney just dissect a witness. <laughs> well, I do watch Law and Order every day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just calm, and I'm, I'm going, oh, my God, this guy is murdering this dude on the stand but he's doing it with, like, the soft hand of a gangster. And so you just laid it out there. Have you ever it, been, and I'll, I'll throw it through you this way, maybe, have you ever been, like, so ticked off with somebody? I mean, you just, oh, and, and, and because they're being calm, cool, and collected, yes. you just, yes. I would, and so you knew that yes. the calmer you were, the more of a boiling point was going to cause to that person. Yes, that's that's meta, man. And I, so I, I said, couldn't agree with you more. I go, to, whatever play. you do, do not, do not yes. start going off. Because then you Stay lose calm. people who would support you otherwise. Right. It's brilliant. Right. I mean, it was, but, that, but it's stones. not easy to do. It's Don't throw you got to keep your emotional, exactly. Don't throw you got to keep your emotions yeah. in check. So there were people, what, what was the overall response on that? Oh, positive. Yeah. Positive. Like positive. what percent? But, you know, I, I, there was, was like a guy 90% that, positive? Oh, I'd say 99. Really? Okay. But there was a couple. Remember a guy on on Twitter that was just dog avatar. He had Guaranteed like a, dog avatar. It was probably a a week of all capital letter tweets. You know, I was with Obama and, and Oprah and all you know it was it was very anti black. He was very um he was very on his side, let's just put it that way. I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it there. But I was just sitting there going and I got to the point I go, I gotta I if one, I started watching it get this guy because it was like a train wreck. I had to see it. And then I would see it and I would get so depressed one, it was directed at me, but two, there were people who thought that way. So I, I had to, you got to unfollow this, or not unfollow, but right. block it so you didn't Don't see it see at all. It. Right, 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 right. And that's what I did. And it took every fiber I could to do that because I always want to know what the true perception is that people have of me. Mm-hmm. And I want to know. And it's like the other day, uh, someone says something to me. Yeah, someone asked me, you know, so what do you think of the new guy? And I guess I was considered the new guy because I hadn't been on the mornings that oh. long. And, you know, again, when you replace somebody who had been there for a while, then that then usually people don't like you just because they don't absolutely, see that. Absolutely. So I had to go through that again. Yeah. Um, and so I got one of those, and it made me feel bad. And you know, I'm thinking, why do you feel years. bad? <laughs> you, you're 54 years old. Why do you feel bad? Uh-huh. I go, because you want people to like you. I don't care what people say. You want people sure. to like you. And when people don't like you, it's extremely difficult to understand. I don't care who you are, how tough you want to be. And when you're in our jobs, it's all about people liking you. Because you can get the news anywhere. So why don't we get the news right. from you? Right. Oh, I like that guy. Right. So I'll right. listen to him. Right. His credibility, whatever. I like him. I just like him. Uh, so that's why when I get people who are negative or whatever, it, it hurts my feelings. Everybody feels that way. I think, I think as you go along with time, though, it kind of the impact is less. At least I think so. I don't, I don't know. Like uh, when I first got it, like when I first, like Tiger Board. Uh-huh. It, it was oh, Mizzou, Nick loves it. Bernie's it, Press Box. It, remember it, those it, days? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. 
Like, I remember it, like, wrecked me, like, in 1999. Now Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, it's like, okay. There are people that I know, that I know, because I remember reading their stuff, who just, like, would dog the crap out of me and stuff and everything else. But they have friends of mine. But they didn't know me. They didn't didn't know know me. at the time. And and when I hear people talk trash about me, I go, dude, I had a nasty article written about me in the Washington Post. Okay? What did they write? Oh, you don't want to know. I'll never forget it. No, no don't look. I don't even, it could be there. It was, it was written by, um, God, I don't even think of his name now, but he was the media critic. Tom sports Shales. Media. No, it was the sports media critic, okay. and I can't think of his name. But again, I didn't know him. And I was friends, I'm good friends with Will Bond and Kornheiser, because we all press boxes all the time. So they go, look, when we go to Buffalo, we're all going to go to whatever after, and you're going to sit down with this guy, and you're going to get to know him, and he's going to get to know you, and he's going to be totally different. And that's exactly what happened. And everything was cool. So from afar, yeah. So from afar, he didn't know me. All he knew is what he saw on TV. And I wasn't George Michael, and I wasn't the other guys. And so, again, you you weren't one of us. Yeah. Uh, and everybody else was like, cool, this guy is cool. I was, in fact, the first page of Tony Kornheiser's book that he wrote, his first book, I can't think of the name of it, I'm, he writes my name on the first one. He goes, oh, I'm in the gym, work it out. And there's Rennie Nod, who's a real likable guy at Channel 7 Sports Guy. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Uh, and so... When people write this stuff, it hurts your feelings. But when that was written on such a large stage, I mean, you're talking, you know, what, 500,000 circulations? Sure. Something like that. Oh, like, well, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Worldwide, because this kind of gets left on people's doorsteps in other countries. Ooh, okay. All right. How are you get back <laughs> I, I, from this? I that one. You know, and, you, you know, your kids are going to see it, and then their friends are going to see it. And, you know, it's this whole panic. Yeah. Uh, but, that's understandable. That's, yeah. that's human nature on that. Yeah. I mean, about, both you and Mike Bush, who are, of course, there, have mm-hmm. gone from the sports chair to mm-hmm. the news chair. And then Steve Savard, who mm-hmm. was in here a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. went from the news chair or the sports chair to the news chair. Mm-hmm. And I noticed with both of them, in a big way, I didn't even ask them about it, that their perspectives have changed substantially from going from that sports chair to the news chair. And I think the way I would describe it is they are more aware and empathetic, and that's not to say that they weren't mm. before, but now, like Steve's, like I've I've walked streets in St. Louis that I didn't even know existed, and yeah. I grew up here, you know, yeah. went to Parkway North, yeah, and, and has been and been in the market as a sportscaster, yeah. and so you're more because you're reading stories that sometimes are incredibly depressing, where yeah. sports stories most of the time yeah. it's not. Have you noticed that? Well, bigger difference between me and them, a couple of things. One, I think being a black male, there are things that you see more firsthand because there's places that. I've been or people who talk to me in a certain way. So there, I've had a much more um, open experience to the struggles that people have in our city. And so that helps to have that. I, I think um, because they didn't have to and I did shoot games, shoot my own video and stuff like that, that you're you're experiencing the one-on-one with the athletes and their families more because you're there shooting it. And so you see the families who, who are going to your CBCs and your dismets that – if not for the scholarship or the financial help to get there, probably wouldn't be there, who are riding buses for hours to go to school in the morning and stuff like that. Uh, So because of that, you witness the struggle a little bit more firsthand. But my awareness now to the overall St. Louis experience is greater because it does go beyond the basketball courts and the ball fields and all that, that there there are the cortex where you've got the startup companies and the technologies and you've got all these young minds that are doing great things, you know, Twitter, Square, you know, the founded here, mm-hmm. you know, is, is Amazon really going to come and do something here? You know, man, you're so much more in touch with the CEOs. And I had no idea 
about some of these people. Mm-hmm. And last week, I find out the guy that runs Centene makes $25 million a year. I go, what? <laughs> I was on stage with this guy, introduced him at, a, at the, the Urban League dinner. But what? <laughs> no wonder he was able to give the money he was able to give. But it's, it's stuff like that where you start to understand that there's so many facets to St. Louis that you're just blind to because you did live in this tunnel of sports. Mm-hmm. And so you're from arena to arena, from ball field to ball field. Well, now you're going to city hall meetings and you're and you're going to these other venues and you're really taking into perspective what taxes really mean to the average man. You know, the struggles of the food pantries and things like that, trying to get business to grow in St. Louis. Wow, there's a lot of things going on here. A lot of things. Which which was going to my question, which mm-hmm. is the state of St. Louis. How would you describe it? And especially now that you're sitting in a news anchor. I, I think I think St. Louis is coming up, but the only thing that's keeping St. Louis down is its own anchor. In other words, it's holding itself down by not truly addressing its issues and problems. And what are the issues? And, and the problems biggest issue, saying? I think, is a city county and then the Del Mar divide. There is and you cross Del Mar, and it is a different world on the other side of Del Mar. It needs to be taken care of. It needs to be cleaned up. It needs to be respected and uh, and and helped. Um, and then the city county, there's a split. So if I'm in the county and I want to go to a blues game, great. Well, I'm not paying the taxes in the city. So maybe you should be paying the taxes in the city to help the upgrades and all this stuff to help the city grow to to better because it, it's a lesser population in the city limits than there is in the outskirts. Mm-hmm. So let the outskirts contribute more to the city limits to make the city better. Let us really start to focus on how we're going to bring in an Amazon when Amazon could make a huge difference to this city. Well, we know why Amazon didn't come here. There are these racial issues. If you're anybody from the outside, they see it and they know it and they feel it. We need to address it and settle it. A few times on this podcast, it's been with politicians, I suppose, more so, but I've said growing up in South City, and I I say it on the radio and then I feel like automatically people swat it away. Mm -hmm. Here I am as a white male. Mm Mm-hmm. And I grew up in South City, which is certainly almost, you know, in my neighborhood right. anyway, still lily white. Yeah. And I remember hearing things and just not understanding why they were being said. I'm talking about like before I was even 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been hypersensitive to mm-hmm. it. And, and that's whether I'm in St. Louis or el- elsewhere. But when I feel like it's causing St. Louis to regress or lack progress, it drives me up the wall. It drives me up the wall in general. But when mm-hmm. I feel like it's a main reason for a lack of progress and that there's casual racism and it's like almost rare if somebody doesn't drop something that I go, oh, shit, why do you? I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. not going to like play the role of heal the world and stop no. it, but I hate it. So I'm curious. You say fix it. I'm not saying that you would sit here and neither one I, of us you probably know, have the solutions, but how, yeah. what, what what can be done? I, I, you know what? And that's a great question because you would think by now it would be it would have been done because it's not like no one knows. Uh, it, does it? Is it all about open dialogue? It's about open dialogue. It's about proper education. It's about opportunities, you know. People talk about, oh, yeah, there's opportunities. Well, if I live in certain areas and I can't get to that job or can't get to those opportunities, then it's not there for me. So you've got to bring business and opportunities to the other side of Del Mar, to the other side of the tracks. And even South City has its issues, too. Let's let's not be wrong. Even down there, you need to take care of, of things. You can't just focus totally on the Cortex or on Midtown or on the Central West End or whatever. You need to focus on all of it. And bring it all together. Mm-hmm. And so does it start with the municipalities really sitting down with the city and everybody saying, okay, how do we fix this? How do we move people over here? Is it about, look, you want to, we'll give you $100,000 to put your business over here, but here is only going to be $20,000. So the guy goes, well, gosh, I got to take the 100. Yeah, I go yeah. over here and let's start to grow this thing. Yeah, yeah. And it can work. Yeah. You can look at Ferguson now and see the differences that have been made since 
those uh, riots and realize, oh, it can happen. The McDonald's is there. The Quick Trip is gone, but now there's the Urban League there. There are businesses that are moving in. I think Cortex, not Cortex, uh, Centene has something over there. Uh, Worldwide Technologies has something over there. So people are willing to go into these neighborhoods, give them incentives to be there. Yeah, I, I would love to see it happen. I feel like like people talk about you know, politicians and put too much on politicians because they can only do so much. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if I were in a position where I were in a, running for mayor, the first thing I would do as a South City guy is yeah. spend so much time on the north side, not not so people can see me there, but to hear to what understand it. to understand it because mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. unless I unless I talk to the people mm-hmm. who do experience it. I mean, even I can't understand it. I mean, let, let me be honest. I live in Chesterfield, so it's not like I'm oh I'm in the middle of struggle. But you know, I grew up in Los Angeles. I my grandmother's in South Central Los Angeles or was in South Central Los Angeles. Friends and cousins in Compton in Watts. You know, I was in the middle of it all. So don't think for a second. Oh, he's always had the silver spoon. No, right. I mean, I worked hard to get to where I am today, and maybe that's why I live, the, you know, where I live. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I don't fully grasp Northside or or the struggles or why there's all this violence. Stop killing each other. I don't understand why people are doing it. I don't understand the, the eye for an eye or whatever has to be done because I didn't have to live that way. Mm-hmm. But I would like to understand it more. I would like to really get to the root of the problem. It's almost like that, that near-death experience where you break down and cry. I want to see guys who are the rough, tough guy break down and cry and tell me the real, tell me the truth as to why you feel like you're being held back. Yeah. Great comment, sir. I really uh, appreciate it. And I, I think people, it'll resonate with people. Because I, I think what, what I've learned here over the last couple of years, since the Rams left, mm-hmm. I think Ferguson, the Rams, and the MLS vote has brought, mm-hmm. I think that's why I would buy stock in St. Louis right now. I mm-hmm. think there's a recognition that there are problems. Whereas before, if you said there are problems, people go, there aren't mm. problems. Yeah. I'm going, man, there are problems. Mm. But a lot of people who grew up in St. Louis don't leave St. Louis, and so they don't get a chance to see right. all the country. I mean, you lived on the West Coast, grew up on the West Coast, worked on the West Coast, went to school West Coast, South, East Coast, and now St. Louis. You've, yeah. you've essentially got the country covered with your experiences. Nearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can speak Nearly. with some pers- There's any places I miss, they'll have to go without me. I mean, I got uh, Little Rock and Columbia, Missouri. Yeah. That's all I yeah. got in the South Side and now Kirkwood, you know. Um, but now here you are 14 years into the market. I think pe- I think it's clear, like your uh, what your son said. You can't say people don't like you anymore. Because, I would hope not. Oh my God, the response! <laughs> that, I loved seeing that. I knew I don't. I didn't know. Yeah. I sensed how it was when you got yeah. here, which was bullshit. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the people just like and, and just like, yeah, this guy's a good guy. He's yeah. a good guy. We know number one thing, and again, it's one of these things that takes years to understand. You just got to be yourself. You know, I, I think people see fake. Or they see you trying to be. And I think for the longest time, I've been trying to be. And it's only been, like I said, and since I've been doing the morning show and really have been able to be more myself, that I started to be myself. Yeah. Like all the time. Yeah. And so I'm okay with a lot of stuff. You know, you would never, just on the surface, you never see me drive a Mini Cooper. <laughs> okay? You would never. Now... I like people to see me get in the Mini Cooper. Like, yeah, that's my car. What? Yeah, that's my car. I love it. Yeah. And I realize it's just the car. That's all I needed. Uh, now, I enjoy driving it. It zips around and all that. Uh, I don't need some big fancy car because that's not for me. Yeah. That was for you. Yeah. And now it's not about that anymore. It is about, okay, what makes me happy? And then what can I do to make somebody else happy? Let me let one person smile in my presence today. That's a good day. <sighs> Great words to live by. Enjoyed the hell out of this, man. Well, thank you, man. I'm glad you guys had me over. Thanks, Ronnie. I appreciate it. So there it is. Our conversation with Rennie Knott here on the Tim McKernan Show. Um, I, I loved it. 
loved it so much, as a matter of fact, that Rennie and I uh, continued the conversation next door at Kirkwood Brewhouse and just kept talking about a variety of things, really St. Louis-centric issues, um, and, 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 of course, acknowledging the problems, but then what is the solution? And uh, and I think that's where the discussion is now turned in St. Louis, which is a real positive to see because just a few years ago, if you would talk about the problems, some people would shout you down and say there aren't any problems. And yeah, if you're in a certain situation in St. Louis, yeah, I would say there aren't any problems. If anything, things are really, really good and you probably don't want to see change. Uh, but uh, for a number of people, that certainly isn't the case. And for the greater good, I would suggest that that is a necessary part of the program. So I enjoyed that conversation with Ronnie, not only the autobiographical accounts of his experience in broadcasting and in St. Louis and the switch from sports to news, but also uh, how much he's absolutely loving his job now, the health uh, battle he had. I had no idea. I knew that he was dealing with it, and I knew that it took a few years, but I didn't know the depths to which it cost him from a health standpoint. Uh, and then also, of course, talking about St. Louis and getting a perspective from somebody who's on a news desk as an anchor, but is coming from growing up in L.A., working, going to school in Oregon, first uh, big TV job in Mobile, Alabama, and then going to Washington, D.C. I mean, truly, he's he's been everywhere and getting his perspective. Really enjoyed it. Hope you did as well. As always, email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com, T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at insidestl.com, tmckernan at insidestl.com is how you can give feedback, and we always welcome that. As always, thank you to the Seamaster, executive producer of the program, Nick Yale, our videographer, and all of you for listening. Thank you to Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com team for sponsoring, and James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent, for sponsoring. We'll look forward to bringing you another edition of the Tim McKernan Show with questions from the audience on Thursdays and new interviews every Monday here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.